Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, congratulations. You're about to arrive to the right place. Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome to the Evan and Aaron Sports Podcast. Are you ready for it? Now, here is Evan and Aaron. Welcome, everybody, to the Alan and Aaron Sports Talk Radio Show. we got a great show for you today. We're going to bring you into a live interview with Barry Michael, former IBF Super Featherweight champion, commentator, promoter, and boxing icon. He's going to join us live on the Alan and Aaron Sports Talk Radio Show. We're going to do a Zoom interview, and we're going to get this guest off on the right foot. Let me go ahead and get this all started up. And great thing is, with our show, you'll be able to listen to us live Friday, 9.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time Zone. We're going to bring you a great show, an hour of join us. It's going to be a great time. And that phone number to call in is 516-418-5572. Then it's 516-5572. Save that number. So that's the number you can call in during our regular show time Friday, 9.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time Zone. During the interview, with the Zoom interview, won't be really able to go ahead and answer questions, but the great thing is by having that number, you can go ahead and ask us any questions on Friday. You'll have us there. Please follow us on our Instagram page. Uh, that'll be Alan Alford. You can follow us on Facebook at Alan and Aaron, and that, that's going to be Alan and Aaron on Facebook, and you can also find us right there on YouTube at Alan Alford. And definitely follow us. We'd love to hear from you. Check that like button to see what we're doing next. And earlier today, we had an interview here with Rick Curdy. I want to thank him for joining the Allen and Aaron Sports Talk Radio Show. He is the founder and CEO of Charlotte Bats. We have that interview on YouTube and our Facebook page. Please check in on that and check us out. Let us know what you think. But the great thing about that's, that is that it's a great way to start the show. We're actually doing two interviews in a day, one in the early afternoon, one in the evening. And we're going to be joined by Barry Michael, who is actually joining us all the way from Australia. It's 12.30 p.m. Thursday over there. And we were there to pull these, uh, make it happen. So I'm excited to hear what Mr. Michael has to say. It should be a great interview. And we're going to go ahead and join him on the Zoom. So you'll be able to not only hear us, but you'll be able to see us. Let me just make sure that everything is all set and we're good to go. So, it's going to be a great time here on the Allen and Aaron Sports and Radio Show. We'll give you, wow, we'll give you our thoughts on the college definitely championship. We'll give you thoughts on that. We'll give you thoughts on the upcoming NFL playoffs. That'll be coming up on Friday, uh, what we'll talk about. We've got a great show this weekend, so make sure you tune in. Always something excited here on the Allen and Allen Sports Talk Radio Show. So we're excited to have you guys here joining us. And definitely, Barry Michael will be with us real soon. And we're excited about having him. So this is going to be great, definitely. And uh, let me just uh, check here, make sure. We're logged in. We're good to go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
So we'll give you a lot of great thoughts. And if there's anything you want to discuss, too, on the show on Friday, please don't hesitate to let us know. Love to hear from you. Any thoughts that you might want to discuss, we love to hear from you. Hear what you want to talk about, too, on the Allen Air Express Radio Show. Please also follow us on iHeartRadio. And we're going to have a great time tonight, for sure. Let me go ahead and get everything situated here for the Zoom interview. Go ahead and. All right. So this will be great. Excited about having Barrett Michael doing us here on the Allen Air and Sports Radio Show. Let me go ahead and. Make sure everything is up to date. Give me one second. <clears throat> All right. So just as promised, the Ellen and Aaron special radio show. We're gonna get them right away. Recording in progress. Welcome to the Ellen and Aaron Sports Park Radio Show. Hey, how you doing? Great, how you doing so far today? Is that you out? Yes, I am. That's me. Yeah, I'm glad to see you. I didn't hear you say before, man. I just got you. Oh, that's all right. I'll just introducing everybody that this is uh, Barry Michael, former IBF Super Featherweight Champion. Commentator, promoter, and boxing icon. How you been? Yeah, not bad. Al. I don't know if you know that um, it was November 30th. I had a triple boycott. Oh wow! So yeah, how did that how did that process go? Well, um, you know, I'm recovering pretty well, but it was a bit of a well terrible shock because a couple of months before I was still training, still sparring, walking 10 k's three times a week, but. Look, you know, I'm not saying it actually caused it, but I had my first um, cable shot, and about mm, three weeks later, I was playing pool with a mate of mine, and I started getting chest pain and shortness uh, of breath, and went to the doctor, and it was sort of panic stations from then on, and they took me into the operating theatre to, to put stents in, and next thing I know, I'm being wheeled out, and they said, no, nah, you need a, a bypass. So I was sent to Sabrini Hospital and had it done on November 30th. Wow. So I was out of hospital on December the 6th and sort of been recovering ever since. So it's um terrible shock, to be honest. But look, I think I'm going to be, another few months, I think I'm going to be, you know, brand new. Yeah. I'm pretty good now, considering. No, that's... A pretty major operation. They take the main artery out of your left arm and they vein out of your right calf and, you know, the massive, you know, open your chest up. It's a massive operation. Anyway, terrible shock, but I'm I'm on deck and I'm going okay. Yeah, that's a real blessing. You know, definitely we hope that your health continues to improve and get better every single day. That's that's a you're right, a major surgery. So just take it one day at a time. Exactly, Al. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So shock. Are you taking it easy a little bit now with the working out with the sparring and things of that nature? Well, yeah, I haven't I haven't <laughs> done any of that. I haven't been I've only just been allowed to restart driving the car. Um, I've been walking a fair bit. I'm still, I've still got a bit of pain, but uh, I, you know, I'm looking forward to getting back in the gym. But that'll be. I'm going to start swimming next week. 
fifth of Australia process. You know, it's a, it's a big operation. The body takes time to recover, but, you know, my blood pressure and pulse and everything is it's really good. So, yeah, I think I'm going to recover 110%, to be honest. Yeah, we're definitely praying that you recover 110%. You know, 150%, we hope you get even better. So Thanks, that's you. Oh, you're welcome. And so just tell us a little bit, how did you get started in boxing? How did it all begin for you? It began, my parents were migrants, were immigrants from the United Kingdom. Yeah. Um, we came to Australia in 1957 or 8, probably 1978, I was about two and a half. I was born in 55, and we uh, came out by ship to capital Felici. We lived in a place called Hamilton for a little while. We were sponsored by the Apex Club because my dad was a Lancaster bomber, and his uh, skipper was a doctor, Dr. Johnny Reimer, who lived in Hamilton, and he sponsored us down there. We lived there for a couple of years in a girls' college, on the uh, fringe of a girls' college. My dad was a caretaker. And then we moved to Williamstown in, in um, Melbourne, which is where we lived in commission flats. We lived in commission flats in Glen Burby, all that, but then moved to Essendon. Um, and then, you know, I don't know, going to, sorry, moved to Williamstown, Glen Burby, then, then Williamstown, in the commission flats, commission flats in Glen Burby too. But the commission flats in Williamstown back then was very rugged, very rough. Williamstown now is a pretty, you know, upmarket suburb. But back then, before the West Coast Bridge, it wasn't, and it was uh, known as Dogtown. And there was a lot of, at school, there were a lot of fights. And, you know, being an immigrant or a migrant, I had, uh, I got a lot of punch-ons at school. And my dad had taught me how to hold my hands up to be at about 20 fights. And when I was 15, I... When I was 13, I actually started going to the gym, and when I was 15, I had my first amateur fight and never looked back. Wow, that's a that's a definitely a great story there, and, and a lot of people. Yeah, just one thing: is that lawnmower in the background? Can you hear that? I, I don't hear it. Good, my neighbour just decided to mow his lawn. <laughs> <laughs> wow, yeah, that's that's one thing that I guess people don't understand. It's 12:30 in the afternoon where you're at. Exactly. Yeah, midday. Where are you calling me from, Al? The state? Yeah, from the Tampa, Florida area in USA. So it's it's like almost 8.40 p.m. Wednesday here tonight. So. Yeah, okay. Well, I know Florida fairly well. I've been to Miami quite a few times. Oh, wow. So that's great. Yes. I trained there with um, Angelo Dundee. and I used to stay at Chris Dundee's house when he was alive. Yeah. Yeah, you know, trained there quite a bit. Oh, that's awesome. So, yeah, now that you, you know, you, you're not in the boxing game, but one thing that people do know about you is this, is that uh, you never had a standing eight count. Yes, I, I'm really proud of that. I'm the only Australian world, former world champion, I believe, that never took an eight count. Sorry, I never, I did take an eight count and in my 10th amateur fight. I had 17 amateur fight, my great title, and I was just in the flush with the left hook, and I hit the deck, I bounced up, I was so angry, I wasn't hurt, but that, that was legitimate eight count. So as a professional, I had 60 professional fights, and I never took an eight count as a professional, which is something I'm extremely proud of. Yeah. I did have to trap me down here a couple of times, but never went down. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you've done it all. You, you've been a boxer, commentator, promoter. Which job do you feel that you enjoy the most? Well, you know, nothing will ever beat 
the um, the higher that you get after you've bought a quality bout, you know, whether it be, you know, 10, 12, 15 or whatever, mm-hmm. and won a major title. Now, I think even, even lesser bouts, you know, there's no buzz that you will ever compare. I mean, <clears throat> promoting a big show, and I've promoted everything from, you know, state titles to world titles, promoting a big show and seeing it culminate in a great night of entertainment program and get the right result is a great experience, but nothing can compares to actually competing and, and that buzz that you get with it. Yeah. So being in a ring, actually fighting is, is number one. Number one. It's number one. Yeah, and that, that's why fighters, unfortunately, you see, you see it all the time, fighters that should be retired just won't retire because they're always looking for that buzz. A lot of them are looking for the money as well. But the buzz is such a big part of it. I really believe that it's like the adrenaline, nothing else compares. Adrenaline flowing when, when you're in the ring, the crowd is going crazy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. A lot of boxers have said that, though, that, that um, they probably stuck around a little bit too long because of that adrenaline. I've seen it. You see it with this, you know, names I won't name, but in Australia, there's some fighters that are still fighting late into their 40s, and, you know, they're just shells of what they were. You know, former world champions. There's nothing worse for me than seeing a former world champion beaten by someone that shouldn't have carried his bag, really. You know, and you see it regularly, you know. Yeah. It's pretty sad. That's, that's a sad side of our sport. But, again, it comes back to the financial aspect, you know, and, and, you know, looking for that buzz as well. So many fighters just don't believe that they're done when they're done, and they need, and they don't want to be told either. That's, it's very hard trying to tell a fighter, mate, it's time to hang them up. It's a very, very difficult thing to do. And unfortunately, I think a lot of the boxing boards, this is why, and we're always going to have serious injuries in our sport because of the nature of it, but a lot of the boxing boards haven't got the ability or the power to, to take life to stop people, especially if they pass medicals and, you know, it's, it's, it's a tough one, you know. No, exactly. And having said that, how did you know, Barry, that you were, that was it for you in the ring boxing? How did you know? Well, our, probably in America you wouldn't know, but it's a pretty well-known story in Australia that uh, I won the world title of Blacksorellis, who, yep. when I was 22, he was 12, and I sparred him and a lot of other kids, and I got out the ring and I said, who's this kid? And they said, Blacksorellis, but this kid's going to be a world champion. Eight years later, I take his world title off him. But by then, he'd been taken over by, let's say, some notorious Italian um, uh you know, heavy, yeah. and um, they they managed him. And just three months before I lost the four months before I lost the title with Rocky Lockridge, uh, I was set up in a nightclub by Lester's former management. And by then, well, actually, might have still been with him. I can't remember if But they set me up and beat the crap out of me, jumped me and uh, knocked my mate, young mate out who's come off the dance floor, jumped me and smashed my nose right across the face with a glass tray. One of them tried to bite the cheek off, and I got seriously hammered. Um, and I looked, you know, it, I was never concussed in a boxing fight. And I, I just, I remember the whole thing. I never, I was pinned on the on a couch, and I never got off. But I was bitten, I was smashed. And the next thing I know, I was being dragged through the crowd with blood security and blood spraying everywhere, straight out the front. It made the papers, and front page of the papers. Uh, I remember exactly what I said when I got out the front. I just said, take me to the hospital. I've got to go to the hospital. I said, but I've still got the world title. 
but unfortunately, uh, my nose was so badly smashed that um, I had to re-break and reconstruct it, and um, it broke in the first minute with Lockridge. Uh, And I'll be honest with you, after that beating, I just knew I wasn't the same in the gym. I was just a fraction behind things where I would have been previously, I think. And I, I wasn't really conscious of it. Um, until, you know, a few of the sparring sessions before the, I lost the time. And look, I lost the desire, I think, you know. And after the loss to Lockridge, I just, you know, I announced for retirement in the ring. And I regretted it. I did regret it. And I probably would have fought again if I was ever made uh, a, a legitimate offer that was substantial. I'll be honest with you, Al, after I retired, because I had a reputation that if you fought me, you knew I'd be there for 10, 12 or 15 and, you'd most likely be part some blood after the fight. So the only offers I had, and I had a few of these during my career, were were not legitimate offers. And I was never going to take a dive to anyone. So, you know, I, I never fought again. And it's something I'm proud of now. I look back and I see so many fighters that continue too long. Um, and that's one of the worst parts of our sport. But, you know, I mean, fortunately, well, not the, the, the beating in Lazar's sort of made me decided that I wasn't, you know, just wasn't the same. In the gym and mentally, I wasn't the same. Mentally was so much of it too. But I knew it was time. Yeah, it sounded like it was a horrific event, a real tough time for you to go through that process. And uh, maybe it was the, the, the right decision because if, if your heart's not into it, then it, it's time to pretty much call it a wrap, I think. For sure, Albert. You know, I mean, up for many, many years after... I retired, I still was sparring at top level and, you know, still could have competed. It just didn't. And But, again, I was never, ever, ever made a legitimate offer to fight anybody at that stage. Um, not that I was... I did uh, I did uh, make noise about fighting Jeff Fennick and I would have come back for that fight for sure. Um, it, you know, it wasn't the right time for Jeff. And, you know, Jeff and I are good mates now. Um, it would have been a cracker fight, I think, but... Um, it didn't, it didn't occur, but I would have come back for that one. I would have come back for a rematch against Lester Ellis too, but uh, and there was a lot of publicity, negative publicity that I received, but I was always up for the fight. But um, Lester now, after 30-odd years, says he never wanted the rematch, which is, you know, finally finally came out that he never, you know, I was, re- I would have done it. At that point, I would have either fought Jeff Fennick or Lester for one more fight, you know, and again, the financial aspect of it would have had a lot to do with it because they would have been big payday. Right. It sounded like they were giving you pretty much low-ball offers to fight other people. Well, I didn't get any. There was no other offers to be oh, fight anybody, right. to be honest, you know. But that, they were, there was quite a bit of talk um, publicly and, you know, through the boxing fraternity that there was a lot of talk about fighting, giving Lester, fighting Lester again. And, to be honest with you, for a couple of years, the Alice camp, not less than himself, but his brothers, um, and or his, his mate, his elder brother Keith, who's no longer with us, you know, sort of kept saying, oh, you know, they probably want a rematch. They never wanted a rematch. Less than now, we'll say at a sports night, he never wanted a rematch, and I always had his number. Um, but a lot of people didn't believe so and believe that I wouldn't give him a rematch, which was never the case. Yeah, sound like you were ready to go back in there, <laughs> you know. Well, I would have, I would have, you know, just to prove the point. But to be honest with you, Lester Ellis was one of the greatest fighters I ever fought, and uh, he hit me in round three. I tell you what, I was in Disneyland, and nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> you, you was in my neck of the woods. <laughs> oh, 
Oh, he was a he was a great painter and a, a you know a great fighter and very hard to hit clean too. I mean, as I said, at 12 years old and I was 22, I picked him as a future world champion. And you know, it's, it's history now that I have to take his world title off him. And, but we're great mates now, which is good. And uh, he, his boys are doing extremely well. We probably know how they're promoting a lot of fights out here, and they're doing extremely well. Oh, that's great to hear. So good that you and him are friends after all these years. It's always a good thing. Yeah, yeah. I'm good mates with you. You wouldn't believe it. You know, that's one thing about boxing. The average person doesn't understand the camaraderie in the sport. I mean, I'm in contact and still very good friends with a lot of the guys that I fought around the world. Even like one has a Jimenez who I lost to in uh, Indonesia when I was about 22. And I never... I never forget that because Juan had a day. I think he had about 33 straight wins, and I lost the decisions to him in uh, the fight in Jakarta. I think before Surabaya, uh, Indonesia. And uh, after the fight, after the end of the, the bell rings in the 10th round, and he said to me, "I said you won," and he said he couldn't speak much English. He said, uh, "Piano, piano, he'll champion bell on Monday. You know, you'll be champion of the world." And uh, we became good mates. And, I trained with him quite a bit in Indonesia, and then a year or so later, I went to Italy, and he was over there. I trained with him a lot in Italy, uh, and we're still mates, you know, on, on uh, Facebook and all that sort of stuff. Not that he speaks much English, but uh, I'm great mates with him. Lennox Blackmore, who stopped me in one of only two stoppages in my whole career. I uh, went to Guyana, uh, Boxing Day 1978, December 26th, and I fought uh, Lennox Blackmore, who's got fought the light rollerweight title, three weights bigger than what I won the world title at. And he was just too big. I fought him with one hand. And he didn't knock me down. But at the end of round seven, Eddie Thomas threw the towel who was the great Eddie Thomas from Wales. And I abused the shit out of him. <laughs> and he said to me, he said to me, Barry, you're a brave fool. You'll live to fight another day, which, you know, when I win the world title. And Eddie was, was a great man. And Lennox Blackmore, I fought, up with Lennox, I fought up with him in New York. I fought him in the... Melbourne and uh, yeah, so you know, a lot of fighters around the world. Look, Frank Roper, so I fought on Ash Wednesday, which is one of the famous fights. We're great mates. Lester and I get on well. Graham Brooks, who I won the Commonwealth title off, and another young superstar from uh, from Melbourne. We're great. There's so many of my old opponents that we're very good friends. Yeah, it's great that you have a great fraternity of people that you could be your friends now after so many years. It's always a great thing, and you share the ring with them. So today's boxer, what do you think of some of the things that today's boxer that they do well and maybe they need some work on? Um, I, I think there's a, a tendency in amateur and professional boxing um, in, in fighting, guys who like to fight up close, which was me, I was basically a body puncher. It's becoming a lost art. There's not a lot of good trainers. I mean, sorry, when you see a lot of the good Mexican fighters and a lot of good Americans and fighters around the world are great body punches, but I think a lot of there's a lack of trainers that teach the old style or the old way, which, you know, for me is the only way. Um, and, yeah, I, I just think that um, these days you see fighters, I mean, I had 56 fights before I got a shot at the world title, you know, a bit like Marvin Hagler who did the hard way. These days, you see guys with their 10 fights, they've got three championship belts, you know, beautiful championship belts, and they haven't really fought anyone with the puppets. You know, <laughs> just, you know what I'm saying? These days, there's, there's, a, there's a, a, like a, a, to get fighters up there quickly and build them up to 
there's not enough fighters, like local fighters, to keep everyone, you know, active continually. You know, so fights are harder to get and they, they don't have as many fights before they get a shot at a major title. And, you know, major titles these days, there's just too many of them, you know? Yeah. That's my opinion. Yeah, not enough trainers and you mentioned not, not so many fighters there. And uh, tell us a little bit about your gym, your boxing gym. No, no, I haven't. I, I've had a few gyms, but I work with a, a guy called uh, Steve Stenborg, who uh, owns North Melbourne Boxing and Fitness, and we're great mates. And you know, I basically have an open strategy gym with anyone because we work. You know, we work in the corner together. We, you know, manage fighters together, and we train fighters together. Um, and look, I'll be honest with you. I don't want to be at 66. I don't want to be in a gym from 6 a.m. to 8 p.m. a day, which, you know, Steve does that a lot, which, you know, certainly wouldn't suit me now. Um, but I just love, I love being at the gym. I love helping people, but, you know, I don't want to be, I don't want to be a slave to it, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, you know, Steve, it's Steve's life and he loves it. He loves being there and he, he trains a lot of people with personal, maybe a few personals as well. It's, um, yeah, and it's a brilliant gym. We've got two rings, we've got, you know, weight section, bags. You've got everything, the rowing area. And North Melbourne Boxing and Fitness in 64 South Street, North Melbourne. Steve Stenborg is, is the owner and the man. He's been there for 15 years. And, yeah, it's a brilliant setup. Yeah, and we had uh, Joel Camilleria on here, and I know that you help him a lot. He's got a boxing match coming up real soon on early February that you're helping him promote some of the boxes there. Tell us a little bit about that event. Yeah, I spoke to Joel twice today. He's actually coming in on Saturday at midday. Or actually, what I mean, Stephen, let him know. 12.30, 1 o'clock. He's coming in to, and he's a ripper bloke, Joel. He, you know, he, he had blood, will travel, he'll fight anyone, anywhere, and he helps. You know, he's just a ripper bloke. And I'm helping him. I've got to, he's put two of my fighters on his next show on the 17th of Feb. But he's coming in Saturday at 12.30 to spar the main support guy, Luke Polarino. You know, Luke's had two professional fights for a win and draw. That 60 amateur fights and, and won over 50% of them by knockout. So he's, a, he's a good puncher. So um, Joel is coming in to spar with Luke on Saturday morning, which, you know, it's just, he's just a, a rip of blood, Joel Camilleri. Yeah, he's great. I know his mother does great work, too, with her. Photography, yeah, yeah. Marty. Marty's everybody. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's, that's that's awesome, you know. And one thing I did want to mention that uh, the person who was able to set up this interview, Glenn Earnshaw, he wanted to have a two uh, signed autographs for you from uh, photos. Yeah, well, gee, okay, I've got his number. I'll ring him. I'll send him. Yeah, yeah. He's he's a big fan of your your work, and he definitely admires everything you've done in, a, in the boxing game. And that's what I've found is that you're a legend in this, this sport of boxing. Thanks, Alan. Yeah, yeah well, you know, it's, it's, been, it's been my life's life love. And to be honest with you, <clears throat> coming out of commission back, and look, it wasn't as though I was uneducated. I actually uh, got university entrance and, you know, passed my VCA, which is year 12 here, which, you know, if you, if you pass that and get high enough marks, you you know, you go to university or whatever. And I actually wanted to do economics, would you believe, or physical education. They were the first two choices. But believe it or not, I didn't even put it down. They offered me psychology. Oh, wow. 
so I deferred it for a year. I turned professional. I had seven professional fights in the first year and won them all and won the best first year boxer on TV ringside, which was a, an iconic night of boxing every Monday in Melbourne. So I won my first seven fights and <clears throat> I deferred the, the uh, degree, you know, the psychology degree for a year and never looked back, you know. Yeah. And I think, to be honest with you, I've, I've, I've done a degree in psychology anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it, it worked itself out. And But um, one thing I did want to probably do maybe in the future is maybe commentate a fight. How is it being a commentator? How do you enjoy doing that? Yeah, that, that's thing I love. I yeah. really do love it. I, I'm fortunate I get to work with main events at Foxtel and most of the big shows in Melbourne. I've missed a couple recently because of my hardest, you know, and my um, bypass issue, but I'll be, I'll be ready to go in the next well, I'm ready to go now. But yeah, yeah I love, love doing the commentary and I've, I've had the pleasure of uh, commentating in, in the uh, UK and also the US. I worked over there with Jerry Cooney and uh, I've got a mental block for a second and it'll come to me in a minute. Um, he's got his own radio, his, his own show. Um, anyway, yeah, I, I, I commentated in New York with Jerry Cooney and um, oh, Sugar. Sorry, I can't remember his name. <laughs> um, but yeah, so you know, travel the world, commentate in the UK, in Vegas. I worked with Colonel Bob Sheridan a couple of times. You know, great man, great commentator, one of the best. So yeah, I've worked with some some river some river guys around the world. Yeah, we like Bob, Bob, Colonel Bob Sheridan. What about the commentaries he's done? You know, going way back to the start of the alley or the alley era, yeah. not the start of the alley era, but he did fight from day here. And, uh, and Manila and all those, you know, massive fights. And I got to work with him. I think I got to work with Colonel Bob first on a world title fight in Australia. And then I worked with him in Vegas on um, Terence Crawford versus uh, Jeff Horn. Worked with him on that one. Wow. So, yeah, you worked a big fight there. And, and uh, yeah. with commentated that, you know, a lot of my guests who are boxers, they did mention that maybe when their career is over to be a commentator, did someone approach you after your boxing career and say, hey, would you want to do this or something you kind of went and, and checked into doing? Well, to be honest with you, Al, during my career, I got to the stage where I was ripped off a few times by promoters. So I started promoting my own fight. Um, and I started doing that in my probably mid-20s, maybe even younger. And I just jump on the comment. You know, my promotion, I can do what I want, basically. So I'd jump on as a commentator, but I'd have another anchor commentator. But I, I started doing that as well. And then I started getting a job offers to do commentary. And now I work with, you know, Fox Bell main event, all the big fights. You know, I get to do most most of the big fights in Australia, which is, is great. You know, at the, at the moment, I'm really enjoying watching Tim Zoo's career unfold. And, you know, he's now the number one in the world and he'll get his opportunity. Hopefully this year, um, Charlo's got going to fight uh, Castano in a rematch, and the winner is, is has to fight uh, has to fight Timmy Zhu, so that'll be interesting. Yeah, it should be interesting. It should be a great fight too. And and um, you know, with the people who are striving to be promoters, you mentioned that you got ripped off unfortunately by promoters. What advice can you give to people who are striving to be a promoter? What's the best advice you can give them to do things the right way? Well, you know, just, I mean, you've got to be, when you do a promotion, you know, you need to have the financial backing behind you. 
Um, you know, like it doesn't happen as much now because back then when I was like started as a professional, our boxing boys were relatively weak. But now to become a promoter, you've got to pass certain um, certain tests, and it's not so easy. And you need to have the, you know, they they more or less check out that you have the financial backing. But back in Victoria and New South Wales, there's parts of Australia you could still go uh, and someone could promote fights, and you could be ripped off. And I mean, I. I won't go into great detail, but I was ripped off. My first world title fight, I, I signed a fight in Darwin um, for 140 grand, and um, I fought the number one in the world, Jim Fitzroy, who'd had about 19 fights, 17 wins, and about 16 knockouts. And was, he hit me some bombs, but I stopped him in round four. I dropped him in round four, and the referee stopped it. But the promoter, uh, I never ever saw him again. He ended up bankrupting himself and sent me a check for five grand out of one.
Oh, there is a guy too. I don't know if you've ever watched it. There's a documentary you can Google. It's called A Melbourne Story. A Melbourne Story. And it's about this, it's about Lester Ellis and I. Right from the start, it's got the, it's got the, uh, the gangster side of it and what they did to me in the nightclub and all that sort of that side of it. It's a great documentary. And the guy who actually did that documentary, which is well, 15, 14, 15 years ago now, is adamant that he's still going to do a movie about... Lester and I. He reckons it's worth a movie. So let's, uh, let's have that happen as well. Michael Nick Butler from Bright Star Media. Um, but a Melbourne story if you're a boxing fan. And if any of the fans out there that want to have a look at a couple of my fights, one of my greatest fights was against an American, a black American called Al Earthquake Carter. And no one ever hit me as hard as this bloke. When I thought he had 23 knockouts and 24 fights, he was from Alliance, Ohio. Um, Al Carter versus Barry Michael, that's a great one. Um, and the winner was supposed to get a shot at Boom Boom Mancini. That was 81, 81, 87. I met David Wolf at the uh, uh, convention, the boxing convention. He came up and approached me and he said, Barry, you're on the short list of contenders to fight Boom Boom for the title because you were marketable. He said, but when you beat Al Carter, because he was from Alliance, Ohio, same as Boom Boom, he said, he said, we didn't fancy Boom Boom with Al. He said, we weren't going to fight your neighbor with anyone else. So I'm indebted for Lester Al for the rest of my life because, you know, I wasn't going to get a shot, that's for sure. Yeah, so definitely I'll watch that documentary. I'm hoping now that you, you get that movie done too. Yeah. Yeah, and Melbourne Story, Al Carter, Barry Michael, and also Frank Rose's Barry Michael, which was, we fought. Frank was the worldwide champion of Australia. I was a lightweight champion. And we fought on, and Frank hadn't been beaten for about seven or eight years. He just stopped Hector Thompson and, and beaten Baby Cassis for the Commonwealth Wildweight title. We both fought at light Wildweight, 63 and a half. And unfortunately, the whole of Victoria was basically on fire. It was, it was called Ash Wednesday, February the 16th, 1983. And the whole hall was full of smoke. It was the Melbourne Town Hall. And they reckon it was 55 degrees under the ring light. And I stopped him at the start of the 11th round. And I said, that was the physically hardest part of my life. And that's another one that's on YouTube. Barry Michael versus Frank Rogers. Yeah. And the whole Lester fight, Lester other fight, 15 rounds is on there as well. For any fan that wants to have a look at them. But the Al Carter fight, when you see the shots that Al Carter hit me, with no one ever hit me as hard as he did. Round eight, the commentator, he hit me with a left hook. He, saying Barry Michael was hit with a dozen knockout punches tonight. Doesn't look like being hurt. But now he's hurt. And then he goes, he's gone. He goes, he's gone. And I was, I was rocking and rolling. And Al hit me with everything but the corner still. And I got through the eighth round and he walked back to his corner. And I came out in the ninth and I was fine. And I finished the ninth and tenth well on top and got the decision. But uh, he, Al Carter was the hardest punch I ever fought, no doubt. Yeah, so definitely a lot of great memories, and I'm going to make sure I keep up with you. Tell the fans how they can follow you that are listening here that are very, very big into Barry. Michael, how do, we, how do they follow you? Um, well, I'm on Facebook. Um, unfortunately, I, I, I'm not that good with all the uh, technological stuff. You know, I, I know a lot of these uh, big um, identities have followers, and, you know, I've always, I've always had 5,000 friends on Facebook, and that's the maximum maximum you can have as a friend, you know, there's 
thousands and thousands of requests that I haven't been able to accept. Um, but I've got to change that at some stage. But you can get me on Facebook. I'm on Instagram as well. Um, but, you know, if you try to get me on Facebook, it doesn't mean I'll accept you as a friend request because I can only have 5,000 rather than followers, which I've, I've got to change it at some stage and get someone that's very good with social media able to set it up differently for me. Um, because I'm not that tech savvy when it comes to all that stuff. I'm a bit of a dinosaur, you know. <laughs> well, you, you're on Zoom, so you're already doing something great. That's awesome. Uh, don't yeah. worry. I've been working from computers with most things, but, I, you know, I'm not brilliant with it all. It's just, it's just, you know, and I'll tell you what, all these pa- passwords do my head is. Yeah. You know? I feel honored that I'm one of those... One of those few 5,000 that are friends with you on Facebook. So I feel honored now <laughs> after hearing that. Yeah. yeah. But definitely uh, take good care of your health. I really, we definitely appreciate you being with us here on the Allen and Aaron Sports Radio Show. And we're going to follow you and definitely keep you up to date on what's going on with your book and possibly the movie. And definitely be safe. Thank you, Alan. Look, a pleasure. Any song you need to. You know, you need me on, just give me a buzz and I'll be there. I appreciate that. We'll do. And thank you so much for joining and, us. And I look forward to meeting you when I come over to Florida next time, which, uh, you know, hopefully won't be too far away. Let's hope COVID disappears from the world and we can all travel the way we used to. Absolutely. I look forward to seeing you here on this neck of the woods. And hey, if I go to Australia, I'm going to try to look you up over there too. And yeah, we might always welcome to come and probably my join as well. All right. I'm going to hold you to that. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank Thank you. You're You're welcome. Cheers. Cheers. Recording stopped. Thank you for listening to the Evan Aaron Sports Talk Podcast. <laughs> Subscribe and check us out on your favorite social media platform. Thank you.